We hope that you are blessed this morning as we worship God in his presence. I don't know. I am, even though we're still in this situation, I, I feel blessed. I feel blessed to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. We're, it, it is July 5th, 2020, and we shut down in the middle of, middle of March. Most of us didn't. So we started in March, the shutdown, and we thought that it would have been over by now. How many people have been in a situation in your life where it lasted longer and you thought that it would have been over by now? How many people you're in a relationship and it's hard and you thought that the conflict would be over by now and we feel like, you know, we don't know when this is going to end. But today I want to tell you that we serve a God that is a God of grace and a God of glory. We serve a God that will show us grace, but that will also grant us and bestows on us his glory. And I would ask you to open your Bibles with me in the book of Psalms, chapter 84, verse 10 to 12. Psalms, chapter 84, verse 10 to verse 12. And it goes like this. It says, better is one day in your course than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor, nor good thing does he withhold from those who walk, whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And I like how the King James and the New King James puts verse 11. It says, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and he gives grace and glory. And no, no good thing will he withhold from those who, who walk, whose walk is upright. Or does good thing. We, how many people feel like the psalmist and said, feel like, oh man, I would better be one day in the house of God than a thousand elsewhere. It's been so long since I've been able to come and worship with my brothers and sisters. And I wish that I could come and do, live the fellowship of the saints. Be, see my brother that I haven't seen in three months and see just his smile and, and a shake of hand. And see my, 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 my mothers that we call them in our culture, my mummies, and, and, and see her get her hug and get her kiss and get a smile that she gives you when she calls you my son. I wish I could be in the house of God. Sadly, nowadays, we have a generation that would rather be every, everywhere else than be in the house of God. I heard a report that said in this COVID thing, some churches, especially black churches, were not able, some of them, to catch on into the online system because their young people have stopped coming to church. And so we have a generation of people, young and old, that would rather do be elsewhere than to be in the house of God. But look at what the text says. It says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I would rather clean the floor in the house of God than be in the C-suite in the high-rise downtown Miami. I would rather just hold the door for my brothers in the house of God than be I have my, my own business, my own enterprise, and be the richest man on earth. I would rather be just in the house of the Lord than to be anything anywhere else. 
But sadly, we have a generation of leaders that would rather be, have a good standing in culture than standing on scripture. We have a generation of leaders that would rather are more concerned about their position in the world than the position of the word. We have a generation that is more concerned about what people are going to say about me or, or, or how can I be a political power player rather than to be a man and woman of God lifting up spiritual power prayers. We'd rather be accepted by the world than be accepted by God. It says in verse 11 that God gives us grace and he gives us glory. Now first start with grace. When he says grace in this in passage, grace means favor. It means to be accepted. It, it is, it says like, um, it, it would talk when it talks about ladies in the scripture, it would say that she has grace or she has found favor. When Ruth was, 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 in, was in the Boaz field and Boaz saw her, she found favor in his eyes. It is how, for instance, it's like how a man feels when he sees a woman and then he falls in love with her. She has found favor in his eyes. And God tells us today that he's so in love with us that we have found favor in his eyes. That he looks at us the same way that a man, when he's in love with a woman, looks at the woman. The same way God looks at us that we have found favor in the eyes of of God. We are well favored in his eyes. And I want to tell you this morning, it is better to have the favor of God than the favor of men. It is better to be received by God than to be received by men. But you always have a line. And we live in a time of crisis. We live in perilous times. We live times when the bill is coming due. The bill is coming due. I don't know if you guys will remember, but there was a time when you didn't have unlimited minutes. You didn't have unlimited minutes. You had like unlimited minutes started at 7 p.m. Anybody remember that time? When, when it was during the day, you had to watch how much you talk on the phone because the, you know, the, the minutes, they, will, they would add up. And then at the end of the month, the bill would come due. I remember one time when I first came, I called a friend. And I called at 6.58. And I'm thinking, you know, 6.58, I'm going to pay two minutes. And then after 7 o'clock, it's going to be free. So we talked for like three hours. And it's like 25 cents a minute or something like that. And then a month later, I get the bill. And the bill is sky high. And I'm like, what happened? It was after 7 o'clock. And they say, yeah, but you started at 6.58. It all, it's not when, it depends on when the call starts. It depends on how it starts. And then the bill, and then so what did I have to do? I had to plead them and ask them for grace. I had to tell them I did not know. Please show me grace. Please do not charge unto me the full extent of the bill. And you know, a lot of times when in our society, we live in a society of performance. We live in a society where if you do not fulfill your contractual obligation at work, you will get fired. 
if you do not fulfill your contractual obligation within your, your marriage, they can divorce you. If you do not fulfill your contractual obligation with society, they will isolate you, whether in prison or they will cancel you. It's called a cancel culture. If you say the wrong thing online and they don't like you, it's over. You're done. But how many people are glad that we serve a God that will not cancel you? How many people are glad that we serve a God that will accept you, that will show you grace even though you're not perfect? And there's a man in the Bible that he, he understood more than, more, more than most of us what that meant. And his name is, is King David. And, and you guys know the story of King David at a time when all the other men were out for war and he should have been as a king in war with them. He decided to stay home. He decided that, oh, I'm going to quarantine my, I'm going to stay home. And while he's home, he's on the roof and he's looking out and he sees a young lady and he, he and she found that looks, uh, she, she's pleasing to him. And then he uses his authority, this God-given authority the wrong way. And then he gets with that lady. And then a few weeks later, the phone rings. The phone rings. How many ladies have had to make that call that says, you know what? My period didn't come on. You know what? I've been feeling sick. You know what? I've been, I've been, I've been vomiting. I didn't feel it. And, 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 and I think I'm pregnant. And, and, and she calls David, say, David, I'm pregnant. And David says, no, he ain't mine. But said, well, there's no other man in town, so you're the only culprit. And then so David decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a, 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 have a plan. How many times we commit a sin, we make a mistake, and we try to cover the mistake with another mistake? And then he tries to cover the pregnancy with a murder. What he does, he calls her husband, which was a soldier, and he was working for David. And then he says, you know what? Go chill with your wife. But I don't know if he felt something was wrong. He said, you know what? I'm going to sleep on the porch. I'm going to sleep in front. So there can be no confusion that I cannot go and have fun when my, my, my friends are, are, are in battle and they're risking their lives. How many times, how many people understand that we're all in this together? And Uriah, the husband, understood that. And he decided, you know what? I'm not going to go in the house. So David says, okay, you know what? He might be a little stiff. Let me give him some alcohol. And he gives him some alcohol. And then that still doesn't work. Uriah was more faithful to God drunk than David sober. He was more faithful to God drunk than, than David sober. And so, so David says, you know what? There's nothing else I can do. He gives Uriah a letter. And with that letter, he says, give it to the, to the general. And the general, where the captain, when he gets the letter, it says, Put Uriah in the front line and back away. And so while they're fighting the enemies of God, they're fighting the enemy, Uriah's home friends, his, his brothers in arms, back out and leave him to fight by himself, and he is killed. And so with that, did not David only commit adultery? He also committed murder because that was he organized the killing of a human being. So he murdered Uriah, and then it, and it was in battle, so he was treason. So he it was treason against his own people. But then David thinks that he got away with it. How many people we commit sins and then we don't see a consequence right away and we think that we got away with it. And I'm here to tell you this morning, the bill is coming due. The bill is coming due. 
And one day, God says, okay, you know what? It's time to collect. And he sends the prophet Nathan to talk to David. And the prophet Nathan gives David a story. And he says, you know, there was a man, he was rich. But then he took the sheep of the poor one because he didn't want uh, what should happen to the rich guy that, that abused the poor guy. And David was so mad. David said, that man has to die. And then here's how Nathan answered. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Verse 7 to 12, he says, Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. That verse blows my mind. I understand that David was a rich man. David had everything that he needed. And God says, all the riches that you have, that for me is still a little. That for me is still nothing. I could give you even more. How many people know that we serve a God that can give you even more? If this, whatever God has given you, if this was little, God could give you even more. If all your family, all your, the, your funds, or whatever you have that you hold dear, understand this, that that to God is still a little bit that God can give you even more. And then he says to David, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did this in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. This is what the Lord says. To David, the bill comes due. And we live in a time that the church has to understand that the bill is coming due. The bill is coming due on, on us. The bill is coming due on America. And before I go any further, let me make something very clear. I love America. I think America is more the land of opportunity than the land of oppression. I think America is a beacon on the hill. I think America is the greatest superpower of our time. I think if you don't believe me, look around the world. What are your other options? Why, you want to live under a Muslim regime? That says, if you believe in Christ, we will kill you or we will put you to jail. You know, some countries, if you say, you know what, I'm a Muslim, but I, I want to serve Jesus Christ. They say, well, that is the capital punishment. We will kill you. We say in another, in other countries, they say, you know what, if you want to serve Jesus Christ, no, no, no. You, it's not God is not king. Government is king. If you want to serve Christ, you have to serve the Christ that we tell you to serve. That is under government, not above government. While this country says, no, we have the rights and those rights do not come from men. They come from God. So make no mistake, this is a good country. And so don't, don't think I'm coming to you like a Jonah preaching to somebody that he doesn't love. Like Jonah had to preach to Nineveh, he hated the Ninevites. Think of it more of a Jeremiah preaching to somebody that he does love. And when you love somebody, you have to tell them the truth. You have to tell them the truth. And the truth is the bill is coming due. 
You see, in 1994, in 1994, there was a genocide in Rwanda. And what, what happens in almost every humanitarian crisis of our time, whether it was slavery, when there was the transatlantic slave trade, whether it was the, the Nazi Germany, the killing of the Jews, or the Rwanda genocide, the church has always has a part to play. And there's always a line in the middle. And you have part of the church that is complacent with culture, that is going with what culture is saying, and there is a part of the church that is going with what scripture is saying. And in 1994, in the Rwanda genocide, there was a tale of two pastors. There was a tale of two pastors. It was Pastor Nata Kutimana, and I apologize for messing the name up, and he was an Adventist, seven-day Adventist pastor. And don't make this about any denomination because they were all guilty. The Catholic were guilty. The Baptists were guilty. The, the, the Methodists were guilty. The Anglican, they were all guilty of participating in the genocide. So much that the Pope recently said, Pope Francis had to issue an apology for the part of the Catholic Church in the Rwanda genocide where people of the clergy participated in the killing of human beings. In the killing of human beings. And that pastor right there, so-called pastor, was the first one to be condemned convicted in the international court for his part in the genocide. As a pastor, he used to carry the, the, and it's just so you understand, the conflict was between the majority Hutus and the Tutsis, where the Hutus went on a rampage killing the Tutsis. 800,000 people died in 100 days. While the world watched, there was people being killed, being killed. And he facilitated by bringing the soldiers to places where they knew there would, they would be people and allowed them to go kill those people rather than to stand and protect them. And him and his son were convicted of participating in the genocide. Men that carry the cloth, they call it men that preach the word of God, men that are supposed to stand on the scripture. Of all denominations, they fast, they, 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 they work and they, they work towards the killing of other human beings. Evil is always able to go forward when people, whether are complicit or silent, about the crime that's going on. They were complicit because they participated. Because, and they held, how, how that happens, and they say, they say that's because the churches were so cozy, cozy with the political leaders of the time. They were getting the benefits of the political leaders of the time so that now when, when the, the political leaders decided that they were going to exterminate another group that they considered like cockroaches, they said, you know what, they're not better to us than cockroaches. We're going to kill them all. They were complicit or they were silent. But at the same time, in the middle of that tragedy, there was other people like Pastor Morinzi that says, no, you know what? He's a Hutu. He's a majority Hutu. His groups is the one doing the killing. But he said, I cannot allow that to happen. I cannot allow that to occur. So what he did, he did his little part that he could do. And he guarded eight women 
in a, in a bathroom that he had in his house, in a four-by-three bathroom. You think you got a problem being hunkered down in your home right now? Try being hunkered down for 91 days with other women, all of them in a four-feet-by-three-feet bathroom. And then you can use the bathroom, but you can't flush. Because if you flush, people are going to know that people are hiding. So they had to synchronize their flushing with the bathroom that was on the other side of the door and hoping that nobody would find them. And he couldn't give them full food because if he prepared plates for them, people would know that he's hiding them in that room. And then for 91 days, every now and then he would take them to the next door so they could stretch and then go back in. And then the, 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 the mil military who too, they started getting, getting kind of something wrong and they would visit and they would visit this house and they would search the house and he would... Risk his own life to save people that were not his own. And they say one day the guards came and they touched the doorknob of that bathroom. And for some reason they don't understand. They didn't open the door. They walked away. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. And he kept them there. And uh, until one day he was able to take them. After 91 days, three months, hooked up in that little bathroom he was able to take him to a french refugee camp and one of them the one that tells the story uh, immacula he says she came in she was 115 pounds she came out she was 65 pounds she saw her bones she felt bones were coming out from everywhere but that pastor stood on scripture that pastor stood on scripture and defended the weak he defended the oppressed. He defended them. And that was the Rwanda genocide. But I'm sorry to tell you this morning that right now we're living in a genocide in America. And, and, and just so you, so you understand, in, in 1951, the UN, well, 1958, they accepted it. In 1951, it came to effect. And where they define what a genocide is. After the Jewish were genocide from Hitler, they decided to adopt a resolution saying that this is illegal. You cannot go out and target a people for destruction. And here's how they define it. They define it as killing members of a group. Right? So that's like what Hitler tried to do with the Jews and, and get them in concentration camp and just kill them. But then it goes deeper. It says, causing serious and bodily and mental harm to the members of a group. When you mentally attack the members of a group, you're committing genocide. Deliberately, and that's where I want to bring your attention, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. Inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole and, and in part. Imposing measures intended to prevent birth within the group. 79% of abortion clinics in America, guess where they're located? They're located in brown and black neighborhoods. Do you think that that's by accident? 
Do you think that they say, oh, you know what, let's just, oh, it so happens to be in a black neighborhood. It so happens to be in a brown neighborhood. Since they made abortion illegal, and, and understand this, it's not about politics. This is about righteousness. You cannot go around and kill the people and think that the bill is not going to come due. The bill is going to come due. And, and, and some of you might say, well, you know what, Dave, this is not us, this is them. Understand this, that we're all connected. We're all connected. There's not two Americas. There's only one America. If America goes down, we're all going down. So the bill is going to come due when you put 79% of abortion clinics in brown and black neighborhoods. So much that since abortion was legal up until 2015, the latest number is even more. is 20 million babies have been aborted. Now understand this, there are 35 million or 40 million now with the 2020 census, 40 million African-American, black Americans in America. So 20 million, and the number probably now is probably more towards 30 million, it's like more than 50% of the black population was killed from the womb. More than 50%. But understand this, when you abort a child, you don't only abort the child, you abort the children of the, ch of the child. Me and my brother were born around that time that that thing was legal. We both have four kids. If we would have been aborted, our four kids would not have come to life. So it's not the cost of abortion is not 20 million lives. The reproduction rate being 1.7%, you're looking at more 35 million lives. It's like double. We have more people that have died in the womb than are living right now in America in terms of the black community. And that was not an accident. That was on purpose. If you go back to the 1900 to what we call the eugenists, the people that have a mindset of controlling population control. We do not want as many of those undesirable people. So we're going to create policies that's going to keep them down. But I want to tell you this morning, that bill is going to come due. That bill is going to come due. When you have immigrants that come to the door and seeking asylum, seeking help, and you treat them like trash, that bill is going to come due. Because the Bible says, receive the foreigner. Now, I'm not saying everybody should stay. I'm not saying everybody should leave. But everybody should be treated with dignity. Regardless of where they're from. Those bills are going to come due. When one in four women in America will be assaulted, that bill is going to come due. That injustice is going to come due. And you say, well, Dave, that was not me. I didn't do nothing, none of those things. What you have to understand, we're all connected. Like, like I have a friend, he's Canadian, and so he was here, and he went to Canada for a couple of weeks. And, you know, he didn't make a phone call. He didn't use his phone. But when he came back, he got a $2,000 bill. He's like, what? How do I get a $2,000 bill? Why is it so high? And you know why he got a $2,000 bill? It's because when you cross, if your phone is not off, it's connecting. It's connecting to the towers abroad, and now you're charged roaming fees, right? Because you're connected to the network, you're being billed as if you were using the network. And he had to plead for grace. Understand this, that you being here in America, you're connected 
to America. And the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 29, in the country that I'm taking you, pray for that country. Pray for that country. Pray for it for the good of that country. Build your house, build your home, but pray for the good of that country because your happiness, your blessing depends on its blessing. If it's going up, you're going up. If it's going down, you're going down. So my brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this morning, it's time to cry for God, for his grace. We need the grace of God. We need the grace of God, not only, not only in terms of, of, of the country, but we need the grace of God in terms of our families. We need the grace of God in terms of our community. Where fathers pray for mothers, rather than to go in your house and start fighting with your husband and to fight, start fighting for your wife, I guess your wife. Why don't you spend the time praying for your husband, praying for your wife, praying for your children? Because we need the grace of God. You see, right now, we're going through a spike of COVID cases. But you know what? We're also going through a spike of courthouse cases. Because people are under the stress, because people are, 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 are cooped up at home, the divorce rate, they expect it to go higher. We need grace in our homes. We need God's grace in our families. But glory to God, we serve a God that gives us grace. You see, when David did his sin. Uh, Nathan said, you know what? The sword will never depart from your house. And, and that was a death sentence. It's like it's over. It's over. It's done. God is done with you. It's done. But look at what God said in verse 2 Samuel 12, verse 13 and 14. It says, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. 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 And we serve a God that it doesn't like, think about it, right? David committed adultery. He committed treason. He committed murder. He lied about it. But God says, you know what? Because you repented, I'm taking your sin away. And we serve a God that says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all iniquity through the blood of Jesus Christ. If David could get forgiveness a thousand years before Christ, how much more not today, God would grant us forgiveness to those who come and seek his face. I don't know what sin you've committed. I don't know what burden you carry, but I want to tell you this morning that if you come before God in repentance, asking for forgiveness, he will take your sins away. He will take them away. Take those sins away. What a grace that we serve a God that forgives. What a grace that we serve a God that says, as far as the east is from the west, I will take your transgression and put them away from me. What a great thing that we serve a God that does not hold the grudge. But you see, it says in verse 14, it says, but because by doing this you have shown other content for the Lord, the Son of born to you will die. 
And what we find out, so this is 2 Samuel chapter 12, what we find out in, in the following chapters, what Nathan says unfolds, where first his son dies, the first born, the baby born, born is, is dead. And David says, you know what, I cannot, he cannot come back to me, but I can go to him. And, 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 and so, so he's going to see his son in the future. But as it goes, you will see Amnon, David's son, falls in love with Tamar, his half-sister. I mean, yeah, you want that drama? Forget TV. You want drama? Read your Bible. He falls in love, and then he saw his father, David, take a woman that wasn't his. So then he goes, and he, he comes up with a plan, and he takes a woman that isn't his, his half-sister, and he, and he rapes her. And, and, and so when, when that news comes to David, David doesn't feel like he has moral high ground, and he doesn't do anything about it. So Absalom... Tamar's full brother, Absalom, is pissed. He is pissed off. The king didn't do anything. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And he arranges something and he murders his own brother. He murders his own brother. So you thought, you thought Days of Our Lives was drama? You thought Scandal was drama? Try the Bible. That's where you get the best drama. So he kills his brother. When David finds that out, now David has a moral high ground there because David went, when faced with somebody that he could have killed, David didn't kill him. So now he doesn't understand why Absalom did not kill. So now he's pissed at Absalom and Absalom has to flee. But after three years, Absalom comes back, but he still has resentment. He still has resentment against David, and he does, and I think Absalom was Haitian because he does what we call a coup d'etat, right? He does a, a house like a, uh, where they kick David out of office, right? So he gathers everybody that discontent, everybody that discontent, and then they stage a coup, and they kick. And David, the mighty warrior David, he's on the run. He's on the run, and, 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 and he doesn't know what to do. But it comes to a point where when you look at the genealogies, there was a man in the kingdom. His name was Ahitophel. And Ahithophel was the wisest man in the kingdom. He was so wise that they said, when he speaks, it's like God is speaking. So whatever Ahithophel tells you, it's like the word of God. Because he's so wise. And, and, when I, and he decided for some reason to side with Absalom rather than David. So he was with David's counselors, David advisors, but he betrayed David and he went and, 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 and started being with Absalom, and, and because we find out that most likely, when you look at the genealogies, Haithophel is Bathsheba's grandfather. And so he's pissed off that his granddaughter got disgraced. So now he sides with Absalom, and he gives Absalom an advice. He says, you know what? Your father is on the run. Your father is running. Go after your father now. Let me, actually, let me go. I will go. Let me take 12,000 men, and I'm going after your father, and we're going to take him down. And, and, and better yet, we're only going to touch him, because we only got beef with him. And if we touch him, everybody else can come back, and you can have the kingdom united under your rule. And then Absalom says, well, that sounds good, but let's hear the word of Hoshiah. And Hoshiah, turns out, is one of David's friends. It's one of David's homeboy, and he stayed behind so that he could help David out. And Absalom says, well, let's listen to Hoshiah. And Hoshiah says, no, 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 no. 
this time, I know Ahithophel is a wise man, but this time he's wrong. Because you know, your, your father, he's a man of war. Your, your father knows how to fight. Your father is like a bear right now that, that you took away her cubs. So if you come now, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna destroy you. He's going to kill you. He's going to... And then, let, let rather gather all Israel, gather everybody, and then we'll go after him. And here's what it says. 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 14. It says, Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The advice of Hoshiah the archite is better than that of Ahithophel. So they took the word of David's friend that was still loyal to David over the word of Ahithophel, which really wanted David dead and was the wisest man. And here's what the Bible says. It says, for the Lord, for the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. If they would have, the Bible makes it clear, if they would have listened to Ahithophel, David would have died. So the grace of God, when God said, you shall not die, that means God intervened at that moment, at that specific moment, where that specific decision was about to be made. And he said, you know, not go this way, go that way. And because God intervened, David lived. A lot of times, when we go through hard things, it's not God punishing us. It's just us reaping what we sowed. When Amnon killed Tamar, it's David reaping what he sowed. When Absalom kills Amnon, is David reaping what he sown? It's just the unfolding of the consequence of sin. And we go through life and we go through hardship. Sometimes it's just the unfolding of our bad decision. But the grace of God comes when God intervenes. And God says, no, not this, but that. And we live in a time right now in America where we need a for the Lord. Or how the Bible's old scripture says, but God, we have 125,000 cases and it's keep going. But we need right now, we need a but God. We have a divorce rate that's spiking high, but we need a but God, we need God to intervene to stop the progress of all those different crises that we're going through right now. We need a but God. How many people know that in your life, if God gives you a but God, you will live? And that's the grace of God. The grace of God is not that, 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 it's not that we don't necessarily go through hard things. It's that at the key moment, God directs it in the way that he wants. And we see the grace of God when, when Joseph that did nothing wrong, they put him in the pit and they want to kill him. They want to kill him, but one of the brothers says, let's not kill him, let's sell him. The grace of God made Joseph live. And then when, when he's in Potiphar's wife and she accuses him wrongfully of rape, the, 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 the law of the time would have required Joseph to be killed. But instead of being killed, he's being put in jail. Some of the tough situation that you're going through, you might not see it now, but it is the grace of God because it's positioning you for God to lift you up in the right time. And, 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 and right now, we need that grace of God. And Joseph is in the prison, and then he talks, he talks to somebody, and, and it gives him a dream, and you're going to be freed. And when you go out and you're free, talk to the king. Talk to the king for me. 
so that he can let me out. And then it's two years. And Joseph probably feels abandoned. He feels betrayed. And after two years, the king has a dream. The king has a dream. And they say, oh, I know somebody that can interpret that dream. And they go get Joseph in the prison. And he goes from the prison to the palace. He goes from being a prisoner to being a prime minister. And he's elevated. And we understand that God's grace is with us in the hard time. But I want to tell you this morning, we don't only serve a God that will give you grace. We serve a God that would also give you glory. And I want to explain that very clearly so that we do not blaspheme. We don't mean that God will worship us. Not at all. We worship God. We give God glory in worship. We give God glory in praise and worship and all of that. But God allows you, gives us honor where he decides with his own power to lift us up. To lift us up. And so you might be going through something right now. But I want to tell you, but God, God can lift you up. But God means you will not pay. You will not, you will go through hard time. But God will not allow you to die. He will allow you to live. And we serve a God that would also give us glory. We see after all of that when David came back. 2 Samuel, if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, 25 says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved them, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet and to name him Jedidiah, which means Jehovah loves and, and, and so when David was about to die, God says, your, your son will reign forever on the throne of Israel, your son, and I'm going to bless him. But of all the sons that God could have chosen, David was married to Micah, and David was married to Abigail. David had multiple wives. Of all the wives that the son could have came out from, God chose Bathsheba, the one that was not supposed to be David's wife. Now understand this, that God can flip your story around. God can, so it's something, it's one grace when, God's grace when you're at work and, 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 and they fire everybody and they don't fire you. It's God's glory when they call you and they promote you. It's God's grace when the, the, your marriage is on the rocks and you guys are fighting all the time and now you're not fighting anymore and now you're at peace. That is God's grace. But it's God's glory when they take you and you become the conference speaker at the marriage conference. Now you're the marriage expert. It is, it is, it is, it is God's grace when you, you, you get fired sometimes and, and you still find provision in, in that season of lack. But it's God's glory when you get a call and they say, hey, I saw your resume. And now they give you a job that you don't even qualify for the job. They give you a salary that you don't even know where that coming is coming from. They put you in a position and they put you high upon. And that is God's honor upon your life. You know, Ephesians says that, you know, it's by grace that we're saved. We're saved by grace. There's nothing that we do that we, we can be saved. It's only by grace, by the sacrifice of Christ at the cross. And if the only thing God ever did for us was to wash away our sins, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Think about, and I know sometimes we don't do that, but take your time. Think about how many sins you've gathered over the time. 
Think about how many cell phone minutes you, you, you've built up over time. Think about the bill that would come due when the bill would come due. If God, the only thing he would do was to wash away that bill, is to wash away that sin, that would be enough. But he doesn't stop there. He says, you know what? I'm going to take you and I'm going to sit you with me in heavenly places. I'm going to give you inheritance with my son, Jesus Christ. And that's why the Bible says Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. He doesn't call us only servant. He doesn't call us only friends. He calls us brother because we are inherit. We inherit the blessing that is on Jesus Christ also come on our lives. So this morning, I want to challenge you to go before God and seek God's grace, to seek God grace for this country, to seek God's grace for, you see, when you see everything that's happening, if you think that you need a new administration or you need this, you're mistaken. You're mistaken. What we need is the revival. What we need is the spirit of God to change lives. There's a guy, his name is Frank Stevens, and he has Down syndrome. He has Down syndrome, and if you know that, you know, in the abortion thing, there's people that are targeted, and people with what we call infirmities, they're targeted. So it's like, oh, your, 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 your son is going to have Down syndrome. What do you want to do? Or oh, abort. And he's like, no, yes, I have Down syndrome, but my life is worth living. And he's a Paralympian, and he acted in movies, and he's like, no, I can live a full life in spite of my infirmities. And he said this, he says, you know what, I do not want to make abortion illegal. I want to make it unthinkable. I want to make it unthinkable. I think, I, I don't think that, you know, necessarily the activists, they're out to do, oh, they want to commit genocide, or they want to do all of that. They really think that they're protecting women. They really think that they're doing a good deed. And only the power of God can change your heart. We can have policies, we can have laws, and we should have them, and etc. But only the power of God can make something that is now legal, make it unthinkable. A lot of arguments are like, Oh, if we make this illegal, they're going to have back alley abortions, meaning they're going to do it anyways. But what if we would live in a time where the spirit of God is so much there that you would feel like, you know what? No, this life is worth living. You would feel like, okay, you know what? Yes, you got pregnant out of wedlock, but I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to take you and I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. I know you're going through all those changes. I know it's hard, but I'm going to help you. What, how, what kind of world would we live if, if rather than when you come home and you try to find ways that your wife did not behave the way you wanted her to behave? Oh, this and that. What if we came home and we said, okay, how can I help? How can I pray for you? How can I be a better husband, a better wife? Well, how, what, what would we live in if you understood that, you know, right now it's tough for your parents, so they're getting on your case. It's really because they're frustrated about their situation right now. And, and how much would it be better if you came and you showed them grace? But that can only happen with the power of the Holy Spirit. God is the only one that can change your heart. If you're going through a situation right now, I'm going to invite you to cry to the Lord. To cry to the Lord so that he could intervene. I don't know what you're going through, but there is a but God coming. There is a but God coming into your situation, into your life. 
And I know you might feel, you know what, Dave, I've done so much. I've committed so many sins. I want to tell you, if you come to God, God will forgive you. God forgives. Whatever sins we feel like we're seeing in America right now, if we come in prayer, I believe that God can redeem and God can save. And it is not the will of God that nobody perishes. It is not the will of God that nobody perishes. Not white man, not black man, not Hispanic, not Asian, because Christ came so that the whole world can be saved through him. But salvation comes when the Holy Spirit comes. So as we close this morning, this afternoon, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes with me as we go before the Lord. And just just take some time to just seek his face. To just seek his face and see that God would intervene. We saw that God intervened in David's life. At the key moment that David needed. He didn't have an easy life, but at the key moment, God was there. And I want to tell you this morning, at, at the key moment in your life, God will be there for you. But like David, you need to come and say, God, I have sinned. God, I've messed up. God, I've done what's wrong in your sight. So I'm going to ask worship team, you guys can come. And let's just take some time to go before God. And, and if you need to pray for your country, pray for your country. If you need to pray for your family, pray for your family. If you need to pray for your husband or your wife, pray for them. Pray for them. Pray so that God can show you grace but also show you glory, show you his power on how he's able to flip the story around. I know you lost your job right now, but you're not going to stay jobless forever. I know your health is not as good as it could be, but you're not going to stay sick forever. I know you're going through a hard time, but God will intervene. Let's go before him this morning.